Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Sydney, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. Business as usual is over. Emerging economies can't follow the rulebook of the past anymore by forging a path to industrialization using fossil fuel technologies. Investors, customers and the broader community is expecting and rewarding those organizations and brands that are following ethical practices, responsible behavior and drive innovation to cut excess. As a society, we become more and more eco-conscious and support those businesses focusing on regeneration, restoring ecosystems, rebalancing our climate, and building economies that thrive while allowing people and the planet to thrive too. In this Florence Guild panel discussion, we will demystify how your business can incorporate more sustainable practices to join the only way forward. Our panelists, Tamara Di Martina, Marketing and Communications Specialist. According to Fairfax, she's been named as the PR for the planet, the Buy Nothing New Month, as well as the New Joneses. Olivia Tyler, Engineer, Scientist, TED Speaker, and in-house sustainability practitioner at Westpac Group. Tonia Bastian, Circular Design Expert, Creative Director, and Founder of Conscious Swim a sustainable fashion brand for children's swimwear. New sustainability, no more business as usual. A Florence Guild conversation with Tamara DiMartina, Olivia Tyler, and Tonia Bastian. Um, first of all, we have Tamara. Maybe you want, just want to say something about you yourself quickly. Oh, sure. Uh, hi, I'm from Melbourne. Um, um, I'm here because my passion is sustainability and how do we live on this beautiful planet with finite resources um, and change the way we're consuming. So I run two programs. One's called Buy Nothing New Month. It's like Fed Fast or Dry July, but for stuff. So everything I buy, everything I wear is secondhand. Um, and my other project is called The New Joneses, um, taking that idea of keeping up with the Joneses and turning it on its head. So how can we make better choices? Everything we do has an impact. And The New Joneses show us how we can have a positive impact by making a better choice. Um, I'm Olivia. Um, I work in corporates and try and do not as cool a stuff as you do, um, but we're trying, we try and um, work with corporates and other large organisations to help improve their processes and their impact and their benefit um, around what they can do positively, um, both socially and environmentally. And I'm Tonya and I have worked in the fashion industry for over 25 years and two years ago stepped away very disillusioned with where my industry was heading to really look into the circular economy and sustainability and what that means for our businesses in the future and I have a children's swimwear brand which is kind of as much as possible I try to include circular economy principles in what we do um, and also have a, um, a consultancy called Chalk Redesign that works with a lot of fashion companies here talking about waste, what we can do with end of life product designing waste out of our clothing from concept. Thank you. If anyone can't hear properly, feel free to move closer. We can all hug each other and become a very intimate conversation right here. So just like that you can take part in this um, enriching conversation tonight, move forward if you can't properly hear what's, what's going on in front here. So, okay, new sustainability, changing the way how we do business is the theme for tonight. And I think it would be great to, first of all, have a more clear understanding of what we actually um, mean with sustainability. I, um, I was able to talk to Tamara about this earlier within uh, our interview already. And she mentioned to me that she actually hates using the term sustainability. So Tamara, why, um, why that? I reckon a lot of people are turned off by the term sustainability. Like I was explaining to me, I wouldn't say to someone, oh, I bought the most sustainable dress, it's awesome, and expect them to want that dress. You'd say, what are the great qualities of that dress? Or I went to the most sustainable restaurant. You want to know it's a great thing, but it's sustainable. 
So um, I'm saying um, with, with these guys, I bet if we had have promoted this, and my bad actually, because new sustainability topic was my idea, but if we had, um, <laughs> I regret it. <laughs> We're doing it in Melbourne soon. I'm going to change the name. If we pitched this talk as the future leaders or the you know future proofers or something, futuring your, future proofing your business or our world, I reckon more people would come along because a lot of people do just go sustainability. It's a bit hippie still. It's a bit uh, scratchy. Um, so everything I do, I never use the word sustainability. I don't talk about climate change, but I talk about the beautiful world that we all really want to see and create and be part of. So I think language is really important. Words matter. So I think we need to choose our language really, really carefully. Like I, um, EcoStore is one of our partners. They're the beautiful um, cleaning bath body products. They um, showed me a release that they were sending out about the partnership we have with the new Jones as an eco store and their PRs had written sustainability throughout the whole thing and I just cut it out or any reference to eco because I think that only talks to people who are interested in that whereas we're all humans we all want to have a beautiful home um, so I think yeah for me sustainability will far as a term. What do you think Olivia? Um, look I, I we, we did talk about that going oh yeah when you asked us you know to find sustainability I'm like can we not like can we just change it? I think it, it's polarizing in that Sustainability is a, as a verb means everything has an ongoingness and to do that um, properly you have to have a way of um, I guess understanding whatever dimension is you're interested in. So if you're in a corporate or a business what I think is sustainable or, or a sustainability plan or goal will be different to somebody else because that's, you've got to look at what's material or what you're wanting to angle or index into. So. What also happens is that sustainability people have like their own language and we love nothing more than like talking to each other about it and then wonder why we have like a world of like blank faces. And so I think if we talk about what aspects it is we are making sustainable, so, you know, not creating waste or not or reusing materials in a different way or reducing the amount of greenhouse gas emissions or that's also jargonistic, but reducing energy consumption, something that's tangible, that in and of itself is sustainable and that's more accessible, I think, to everyone. I think that's really interesting because um, you are from a more corporate background and trying to demystify that um, monster of sustainability that I think a lot of people um, have in their minds. Whereas you, Tonya, you I'm founded... I'm a product. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And also you yeah. founded your own <laughs> small business mm. within Conscious Swim. Um, so I think maybe it would be interesting to explore what's actually... The, the biggest difference in, in the minds of people from um, from the corporate world yeah. whereas and, and the different hurdles that you have to overcome? Well, the fashion industry has probably been the last to actually get on the bandwagon with actually analysing their footprint and thinking in a sustainable, more responsible way. So I think I, I really like the term responsible when I talk about our product, even though we actually do use sustainable on our website. And that's mainly because people search sustainable when they're looking for you know kids brands or women's clothing they use that as a search so in order for people to be able to find us we've got to include that in what we do but everything that we do we are very transparent so everybody knows where we print our fabric who prints our fabric who makes our clothing we make everything here in Australia so it's very close to home it's all in St Peter's and Marrickville everything that we use is recycled content um, and so we allow people to find out actually our supply chain. You can go all the way to Italy, we can tell you all about how our fibre is produced. It's very connected in what we do. And not only that, we talk about end of life as well. So for us, we actually do have a take back programme and we also use all our scraps to then try and start to do some investigations with some of the universities around, well, what can we repurpose old swimwear into? Because ultimately, we don't on-sell swimwear. It doesn't go to the charity shops, it doesn't go into second-hand stores, it actually goes into landfill. And we are in Australia, so actually we get through way more swimwear than any other country. And so that's one of our big things, is to try and find ways that we can repurpose. What can we turn it into? It could become a resource for the building industry. Is it that we can melt it down, because most of it is nylon or polyester, and then turn it into something else like furniture? So we're very, very much about including education, science, a community around what we do too. And that, I think, is where our sustainability thing comes in. I would say we're more responsible. Does anyone here um, have any in, like sustainable practices within your businesses already? Or do you have any questions in regards to how 
can you um, integrate more sustainability within your business model that you would like to ask these beautiful ladies? Why are you here tonight? <laughs> What's your, um, where are you coming from? What is your passion about new sustainability? What are you interested in? I would love to know. Do you want me to make a point on that? Yeah. You guys are probably doing a lot of great things around sustainability or making environmental choices all the time, but you might not be that aware. So we've just been at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show last week with the New Joneses, which is my project, The Tiny House, showcases all the lifestyle choices we can make that are good for our people and our planet, from your choice of bank, your energy company, the food you eat, all that sort of stuff. So we're just there. We're free. We're open to the public. We're education. We're, sort of, we're sustainability by stealth. Um, and we were doing Vox Pops <clears throat> with this little girl, she was nine, just going out with a microphone asking people, what did you do that was um, great for our planet today? And she asked one bloke, and he would have been, I reckon, maybe in his 60s or something, he was there with his, I assume, wife, um, and he said, oh, I didn't do anything that was right for our planet today. And she said, oh, what about yesterday? And he was like, oh, no, I can't think of anything I did yesterday. And she said, what are you going to do tomorrow? And then he went, oh, actually, this might sound a bit funny, but... I love chocolate milk or flavoured milk, um, but I just don't buy it anymore because it comes in a plastic bottle and I don't want to be buying any plastic. And I just thought, wow, that's awesome because we'd actually try to go that length to change someone's behaviour to say, we need to review, refuse this stuff now. We can't just recycle it. But here's this old geezer when he's really pressed. He can't think of anything he's done for the environment, but he's doing something massive all the time. So that's you guys are all doing something. You're just not aware of it yet. Have a think. <laughs> so Olivia, like in the in the corporate world, I assume it's even it's even harder to change the practices into a more sustainable way. I mean, even on an individual basis, I can assume that it's I, I can only talk for myself, but it's hard to like not have the longest shower because it feels good, or especially in such a plastic plastic world, I can nearly say it's hard to eliminate it or like it at least um, try to reduce it. So why, where is the starting point for bigger companies um, in order to find a way in a more sustainable world? It seems like it's this massive mountain and you don't know how to actually even start climbing it. Look, it's, it is a big challenge and I think it goes back to sort of, you know, what is material and what is important to you as a, as a business. So I, I was saying earlier before, you know, businesses have two angles. If you make something either or you give a service, someone's going to buy it. So you have a customer. And if you are, you know, funding that, you probably have investors, whether it's yourself or whether it's, you know, a financial kind of investor. Um, between the two areas, they will give you insights around what's important to them. And if you start with, if you don't have at your core purpose, what, what it is that you do and what you stand for, and how does that, um, I guess, reflect around what, um, what the sustainability aspects are. So if I take here as, as Work Club and Florence Guild, you bring people together, I would look at the sustainability benefits here would be you're actually creating like a crucible of ideas that you could connect two people who would never have met otherwise to come up with a new way or a new solution. And that's basically what I would do in a corporate. So I have good or bad, um, a brain that adds things that are seemingly unrelated together. And I remember things like years and years later going, oh, someone talked to me about that. You guys should meet because that's going to be an idea. And it's just about bringing people together. The other thing also is when you're working mm -hmm. in an organisation and you don't run the show, um, is you have to be pretty patient. And I think there's, for, for people who work within corporates, particularly or bigger organisations or government bodies, there is a strong sense that if I want to affect change, I've got to be in it for the long haul. And that's about focusing on the end goal and just microchipping away at little wins as you get there. It's also about being really accessible. So I'm hugely approachable. I don't think I speak too jargonistically. Every now and again, I might throw in a couple of words that I think are really cool, like pH calibration, but no one else does, um, and that's fine. Um, so I do try and make it really accessible for people to opt into it. But the other thing is also just having the conversation, and you had the perfect example. If you just chat with someone, my gift is to be able to pick up the little dings mentally, where I go, okay, I know what you're motivated by as an employee. I know what you're motivated by as a human. 
I know what the company is motivated by and why it exists and what it's doing. And one of my you know, favorite things is, okay, what's the hot trend internally at the moment? And how do I pitch my wagon to that? Because that will take me right through the organization. And so where you know, in inclusion and diversity is a really big area for big corporates. Um, the organization I work at at the moment, we have a supplier inclusion and diversity program. I named it the same because I was already capitalising on the, the, the brand awareness of inclusion and diversity. And I'm like, we just do what we do internally and now we do it in the supply chain. And everyone's like, oh, that makes complete sense. And so you get much more cut through when you, t you change your language to fit what others are wanting to do. And sometimes it, it's, uh, it's challenging because we have to think of more creative ways to appeal to a whole bunch of teams versus I want everyone to understand my understanding. And so that's where the communication um, sort of comes out. It can be challenging, um, obviously, and at a personal level, you've got to have a fair bit of resistance, persistence, being really um, diligent and patient around what you want to get, but you can affect massive change um, in corporates, and that's where I've chosen to sort of, you know, spend my career. Um, massive change, massive input, massive change, and that's kind of the benefit, I think, that we can create. I think it's also a two-sided conversation. The one thing is the organization's changing from within, but I mean, um, a lot of consumers also become more more conscious in what kind of products we want to we want to have like for example i see more and more people i have one myself now as well where you know those keep cups um so so that we don't have to throw away our takeaway cups all the time and um i think those consumer needs are massively impacting how organizations obviously have to work and i think mm -hmm. tonya for your business um maybe you want to um, elaborate a little bit on that like how how your consumers are actually shifting and shaping how you do business. It's a, it's a very slow shift at the moment. And I think what's interesting, not just only with my own little business, is that there's a much bigger conversation going on. And I don't know if you've all heard of the circular economy, which is being talked about a lot. So in the fashion industry, that's become the key focus, is how can we shift our businesses so that we've actually closed the loop. So textile waste is a huge, big problem for everybody. And so, and so we're all shifting and moving. At the same time, the problem is, is we're not actually educating the customer. So we're all, we're all making this shift, but we're not actually bringing the customer on the ride. She knows that she's looking for something different, but we've got to change the way that we market that product to her too. And a lot of that for me is about the storytelling. So I've been in the industry for 25 years. When I first started, there was no fast fashion. So the way we created clothes was that we were very connected to everything, connected to the people that produced the fibres, the actually the mills that produced the fabrics, the people that made the clothing. We knew all of them. That's how it worked. Then fast fashion came along and, and our supply chains got bigger and bigger and bigger. And as we moved everything offshore and we created more and more and more and cheaper and cheaper, we no longer connected in to people, planet, any of that. We no longer had stories to tell any of you about the clothing that you're buying. And once you don't have that kind of connection, that's when things become really disposable. And you, you no longer feel connected to that jacket because actually you know you can get another cheap one. So therefore it becomes very throwaway. So my industry right now is trying to work out how they shift back into communicating with the customer, with the storytelling, and start to build those connections. So again, clothing starts to have some kind of value that actually we start to value what we, what we are buying and the, and, the, and the connections we have with those clothing. So for me, that's a, a really big thing. Is there's a big shift about making those links and those connections and mm. putting the value back into our clothing. Mm. Can Do I ask you, a question about that? Oh, of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Um, as a business, would you prepare to sacrifice scalability and profitability for it's a that's a really interesting question. So we've been on this little journey with Conscious Swim, and since we've been doing it, the Iconic phoned us up out of the blue and said, oh my God, we love what you're doing. This is all Australian. We want more brands like you on our platform, because they know that they're getting lots of people searching, sustainability, da 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 da, and they don't have a lot of those brands at the moment on that platform. And so we were like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, incredible, we've just been picked up by the Iconic, but it was really interesting. Pe people have actually, and I think now we're actually questioning, are we actually sitting on the right platform for our product? Because actually their values don't align with our values. And what we're finding at the moment is that we're creating this thing that everybody is loving, because the other thing that happened to us was Qantas. 
picked up on us doing what we're doing and they put made us part of their campaign for their business rewards program. So we were the face of their campaign called Small Businesses Do Things Differently. So, and we do everything off our kitchen table. We are literally that small, it's a tiny team. But suddenly we're finding that all these big organizations are wanting to connect with us because we're doing something in a way that they know they need to be doing it, but they don't know how to shift. And so we're in this very strange place where suddenly we're getting all of this coverage. We're actually trying to be very sustainable. We don't want to grow too quickly because how do we sustain that? You know, we're trying to do things in this very organic way. So we're in a kind of a strange position, a strange place to be amazing because we're getting all this traction and interest. But yes, to that point, it's, yeah, it's a much slower burn. And I've, because I've created brands and my whole background has been building women's wear brands. So I'm a bit of a serial brander. So I know how to make that happen. But in those brands, they went big very, very quickly. They ended up being in our own standalone stores, in concessions in all the big department stores. So now I'm trying to build something in a very different way. So creating all of that beautiful narrative, but allowing it to grow in a more organic way, in a more sustainable way. Mm. Yeah, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Could I ask small business, how do you manage the cost of compliance? That's another interesting thing. So yeah, we're, well, at the moment we don't. We're very, we're very open and transparent about everything we do. Um, but yeah, we haven't really had to come up against that one. But we're very honest, you can literally see who, who we work with, every single Australian business that we do business with. Do you feel that Australian businesses, small Australian businesses really don't have the opportunity to scale because of the cost of compliance? Yeah, I do. And I think it's, it's very hard in this country. Um, and I think especially in my industry, in the fashion industry, um, because you know everybody knows that the, our industry has behaved badly in the past here in Australia also overseas um, so yeah you know being a that's a big issue for all of us yeah could I ask a question around why you chose to go with children's swimwear as opposed to women's your background fashion. of women's fashion <laughs> I know funny that <laughs> so the reason I did that was because I have a 12 year old and I was listening to him talking about the environment and actually not being that aware of anything because of course they've been brought up in a in a very much even more consuming and that's down to us as parents because we've I didn't have very much as a kid and so therefore you give it to you, your children um, and what I wanted to do was because for me what's really important is that it's about an education piece too because essentially if we can bring our kids on board and inspire them and, and show them what can be created out of waste because the swimwear fabric I use is made out of recycled fishing nets commercial fishing nets and other nylon six waste, so that's carpet fluff. So a lot of our carpets are made out of nylon six. Majority of swimwear, good swimwear, is made out of nylon six. So the two things are exactly the same. And the company in Italy has teamed up with a charity where they go out and they rescue all of these commercial fishing nets that are at the bottom of the ocean, which in a way is helping the marine life, which is often being trapped in them. They take it back, repurpose it, melt it back down, spin it and weave it into a brand new fabric. And the beauty of Nylon 6 is that it can be recycled infinite number of times. It doesn't break down. So this is why once it goes into landfill and into our environment, it's a real issue because it doesn't break down and leaches toxins. Um, yeah, so, so I wanted Devon and I wanted all of his friends to feel inspired by what could be achieved off the back of waste. Waste is a resource, look what you can do. And they're all like, oh my God, that's so cool. So awesome that I can have swimwear made out of like recycled fishing nets and it's doing good for the environment. And so that's why I did kids. And because I can plug into some really great charities that are trying to educate kids around ocean education, underwater earth. So at every point we try to make sure that the kids are brought on board. Because ultimately the, the mess that we're creating, they're the ones that are gonna have to come up with some pretty creative solutions to start to turn it around. So that's really why I did kids. Mm. Yeah. Tamara, you've um, traveled around the world for and have, have, um, have a background in sustainability for over 10 years and you've seen a lot of changes happening in those 10 years. Um, do you think looking at the, the younger generation, is there a big, um, definitely a big shift happening compared to 10 years ago? And I reckon it really depends on who you speak with. Mm -hmm. um, 
because Tony, hearing you say that, um, is it Devon, your Devin. son? He, him and his mates didn't really know that much about our environment. You could speak to those guys and they don't know. I've just, as I said, I've just come from the Flower and Garden Show. We host school tours for kids, so we just had this barrage of kids coming like, ugh. Um, and I was embarrassed because I was like, wow, these little kids know more than I do now. It was so wonderful. So I've been doing this, when I started Buy Nothing New Month nearly 10 years ago, um, the Premier here in New South Wales at the time called me nuts and I was trying to harm the economy and everyone needs to get out there and shop more, buy more stuff, Buy Nothing New Month is a stupid idea. No one would say that these days. It's changed so dramatically. But I just can't tell you, obviously it was a specific group of kids whose teachers were bringing them to the Flower and Garden Show. But the sustainability or environment um, is now embedded into the curriculum. So it's not like it's an add-on. And I think that's really important. Yeah. So it's not like kids learn sustainability as a topic. If you're in year 11 English, you're learning about you know sustainability in that class or grade three maths, you're being taught all that stuff. Like we've got, you know, 10,000 people and only this much land, like they're learning it. And I was just blown away for the last five days at the Flower and Garden Show how knowledgeable these kids are and how much I need to, like, scale up my information because it really was, they knew more than me in, in this, and this is the first time I felt like that. And then I had another lady came to me <clears throat> and she said, oh, I'm really passionate about this stuff. Like, I always make sure I put my apple core in the recycle bin. And I was just like, oh, dear gosh, <laughs> like, is that where we are? But then I sent her off so passionate. She went straight to the worm farm man, like just over there and, and bought one. So she now knows. So there's lots of awesome stuff and lots of education. And then just we're really far behind in other areas. Yeah. So I think oh, it really education, depends. Education is key. Yeah. I'm so passionate about that. Because I teach, I teach some fashion classes here. And the ma a majority of courses and universities do not offer sustainability or anything in any of their courses at all and yet we as an industry are shifting into that all the new students and potential designers that are coming in have no idea of what's happening and the shift that's happening so there's a real disconnect I think a lot of people yeah how do you combat that um, psychological preconditioning that we have to mm. get the latest fashion, for example, like if you're caught wearing last year's fashion or last season's fashion, especially mm. uh, I mean, even last season's iPhone, yeah. you get judged accordingly in the society that we mm. have. How do you, what ways can you think you can combat that? Yeah, do you know what, That's it's really tough. It's that whole thing of once it becomes cool, <laughs> then everybody shifts into it. It's that thing of the brands. I mean, you look at Stella McCartney, she's really a pioneer um, in terms of a designer that has stuck to her guns and is now um, almost an uh, ambassador for the circular economy with Ellen MacArthur. And so it's, it's that thing of making it cool. It's the more people like Claire Press here in Australia, who's the sustainability editor of Vogue, and she's the only one in the world that does that, and she's here in Australia. And it's that changing people's mindset she's a real pioneer in terms of getting people to think differently about where you get your clothes from second hand is cool all of those things be different be individual that's yeah. about being individual it's about not following crowds so do something that is about you mm. i've got a point to make as well i think it depends who's doing the judging like i'll be as judgy as hell if you think it's really cool <laughs> <to have. laughs> like if you're going to go and buy the new iphone just because it's a new iphone i'm just going to wipe you off my list like there was this great tweet a lot of people the same. There are a lot of people the same. Like Ricky Gervais a few years ago, he tweeted, and he's got a massive following, and I love it when people like this do stuff like this. Mm -hmm. He just took the piss. He said, um, the new iPhone is out, and how completely embarrassing. I've still got last year's perfectly good model. <laughs> like, it's just stupid no, what we're doing. So, you know. Yes. Yeah. And even someone like Claire Press, I do want to make the point, because it is one of my proudest moments. I'm the last word in her first book. Claire was a retailer when I launched Buy Nothing New Month nearly 10 years ago and she came to interview me years ago and in her book she says I was prepared to hate Tamara. I thought she was, you know, this um, anti-capitalist nutter and now Claire is, she's the first sustainability editor at large for Vogue whereas a few years ago she was saying I was crazy because I was trying to get people to wear secondhand and now she's like one of the biggest advocates. People realise once you wake up, people are like, what the fuck have we been doing? Yeah. And then 
there goes the judgment. It's like the other way. Like, how can we live the way that we're living? It's just, it's, you know. It's, I mean, I you can't cram anything more into your wardrobe. That's when you realise that, ooh, actually. Yeah. But also, like, cool? talk about judgment. When we know what happened at Rana Plaza, where nearly mm, 1,200 yeah. people died so we can have another cheap T-shirt, it's like we're perpetuating slavery. So we can have more cheap stuff. Someone else is not being paid properly. They might be 12 working in a factory that's going to collapse on their head because we don't want to pay the true cost of things. Yeah, Sorry. That's, that's, <laughs> a big, no, that's a big thing, though, because uh, when I teach the students production manufacturing, I'll get them to think about a piece of clothing that they're wearing. And it, pretty much majority of clothing that you're all wearing now has probably circumnavigated the, the globe twice before you've even bought it. Because of when you actually break it down, you think about the fibres that are used, the different components in that particular piece of clothing. And then I get them to think about, and then they tell me how much they actually spent on that piece of clothing. And they'll say, that cost me $20. And I'm like, well, how does that actually that's so disconnected and they all sit there like I can't believe it's gone through all of these processes and all these people have been involved on that journey and yet I only paid twenty dollars for it how does that how does that even work doesn't compute doesn't connect but you mentioned earlier that it's almost like an addiction is that mm, it is yeah yeah, mm. yeah. Um, that was my point that I, I wanted to, to really uh, get to if we're in a in a market-based economy um, which there's no denying, and with respect, your business is niche, um, and it is a growing niche, mm. it is still niche. It is and, niche. Uh, in the, uh, the budget just announced, um, there's, there's offering of a $75 handout to help with your energy bill. Mm. That's not addressing your energy consumption in any way, mm. it's just uh, acknowledging the fact that the bills have gone up. So without, um, and, and you, you uh, which of you have discussed the education is the key. But to move from the niche to the mainstream so that we stop buying the, the latest iPhone just because it's out, uh, uh, how do you do that without uh, some sort of legislated, uh, heaven forbid, carbon price, but without some sort of legislated way to step from the $5 T-shirt for the $15 t-shirt, yeah. which is still a reason for us to pay for a, a And the smaller But well, there there is legislation on that now. I mean, that's sort of there's New South Wales Modern Slavery Act coming in, and then there's obviously the Commonwealth that act, and that's the I guess the yardstick by which you know we're all going to need yeah, to jump to. Everyone, everyone can agree that slavery is nasty, but on on environmental. Well, that's an interesting one because actually in the UK, I think it's the UK might even be France. Anyway, they're now talking about actually bringing in a tax on fast fashion so that there will be a tax on it so that actually when it gets to end of life, there will be money there to be able to deal with that, with that problem because it is a real issue now. But the waste <coughs> issue also is the same thing because um, countries that we were disposing our waste to have shut their borders to our waste. Mm -hmm. So we've had to innovate because we can't put it anywhere. And that has been, that, that's been the industry has sort of woken up and gone we just can't ship it offshore like we used to and turn it into something else somewhere else so that kind of i guess measure is creating a um, a movement and a reason to have a better way of evaluating the cost of something and it's it is the argument if you're not going to save i can't save you dollars i just can't cost you more and it's, it's a you've got to turn we've got to be able to turn the argument around and correct Well, there's a yeah. combination factor because there's how investors are looking at you, how consumers are looking at you, what the risks are, what the legislation is, and there's like a perfect kind of moment where all of those things are happening together. Will that bring those who don't care along mm. and the consumers who don't care? Because there are loads of them, they're just not interested and they don't have time to care. There is an element of 
well, can we take some of the decision making away from them and just make sure that there's a higher baseline year on year so that whatever you buy has already had at least a minimum standard and that minimum standard lifts. And I think that's where a lot of that's going. And then you'll get your, you know, highly involved, highly aware consumers pulling the top who will buy the niche products. But the more you make those niche products, the more you're seeing mainstream brands going, oh, hang on a second, there's something in this. And then it becomes mainstream, but that takes forever. Can I also make a point? On that, just to, um, I think your question around legislation, it's important, but I think we also need to bring it back to what's really important. Like it might be legal, but is it right? Mm. And in some countries, just doing the most appalling things is legal, but is it right? And I think as, you know, leaders, we're probably all leaders here, you have to keep coming back to every decision I make. Yeah, I might be able to do it, but is it the right thing to do? I did um, an ethical leadership course last year and it was brilliant because so many, I've worked by myself for myself for 13 years. So that's a lot of in your own head think time. Um, and then I went and did this, it was I think 20 of us CEOs over eight days together in a room from eight until six. Everyone from like the CEO of Richmond Football Club, like leaders in their field did this thing about ethics. And that's what the whole week was, we were just to come away with that thing. Okay, yeah, it might be legal, but is it right? So we're making better decisions and not just decisions based on the dollar. And I think we're stuffed as humanity if we just keep making decisions based on money. Um, even like pr people are primed with money and I was going to make a point to the guys here at Work Club, your um, sign-in for the internet, interestingly enough, you've got a dollar sign in it. You know how the, oh shoot, have I just given away the password? <laughs> <laughs> take, take that back. Um, when we think about money, like we've got these intrinsic values and extrinsic values. So the intrinsic values are all the feel-good stuff, like you get your sense of good and self-worth from the good stuff, like connection to nature, connection to loved ones, all the good stuff, community. Community. Woo. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Our extrinsic values are all the things where you get your sense of self-worth from, I've got a Ferrari, I've got a big house, I've got stuff. And the more we strengthen our intrinsic muscle, the weaker the extrinsic one becomes. So the more we connect with community and start mm. doing stuff that's good for all of us, the less we care about that stuff. So that's probably why hippies dress less and less well, you know, <laughs> over time, because you just care about different things. And the flip side's true too. So the more you are strengthening your extrinsic muscle, like I'm interested in having the fast car and the this and the that, your intrinsic muscle weakens. So you care less about society and community and connection to nature and love of your neighbour, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And there's science behind it. Like, and the dollar sign, the reason I raise this is we get primed. So as soon as we even see a dollar sign, we make more selfish choices. So money makes us more selfish. It makes us more greedy. So they've done, there's psychological testing after testing. They will invite students in to ask them a question like, are you going to look after nature or your neighbour or whatever? They'll drop a dollar coin or whatever on the floor as people are walking in. Those who've been primed just enough to see money makes them go into that um, questioning and make a more selfish decision. Wow. End of lecture, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think um, that's, that's uh, the main part also that we're faced in, in business because that's about making money. And I feel it, like... What about well, B Corps? I feel like this, this yeah. why movement is so important to like reconnect. Why are we actually doing what we're doing on a daily basis? Because we get so caught into our little hamster wheels. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people see sustainability still as a separate part and then there's the business world and yeah maybe we integrate it a little bit whereas we're moving more into this holistic movement and I don't know what my question from this is I think, but I I think <laughs> Olivia do you think you could elaborate more on what B Corp actually is so um, so B Corps and, and jumping but B Corps are for-profit businesses that have a social or for environmental benefit. for benefit, yeah. B. So for um, and in their constitution have a social or environmental goal or um, value, and that's actually it's not written under corporations law or it's not actually illegal, but it's in the constitution of the organisation, and it kind of I guess represents um, what um, you know new business or enlightened business might be, how you wrap 
how you move from where you were to that is different and you, you'll see there's lots of B Corps who might be consultancies or they might be um, uh, you know, organic clothing manufacturers where they can kind of really talk really clearly around the certifications and the processes they have. Where I think there could be, and that's a certification to get that and to make that claim, um, we were talking earlier around how do you actually just be a more mindful organisation and how do you just make decisions that are more representative, not just going, okay, I need to make this much money today because that has a lifetime over it. It's more around how do I take into account sustainability in the proper sense of the word, as in economic, social, environmental, you know, well-being, mental health, whatever else you want to sort of put in that. And how do I teach the skills that are necessary to make decisions in multi-modes, not linear? And that I think is a really challenging way of looking at a problem. Because in the past we'll go, okay, I'm going to look at this problem and I'm going to step through it and this is it. Now you're finding people and, you know, I'm one, my, the cohort that I kind of operate in and my peers in other organisations or others, those on the outside, we don't see things in lines, we see them in circles and that makes it trickier because it takes a long time to make a decision but the ones we make are, are better, are more mindful, more conscious. Um, and how you get rewarded for that though, because if you go through all this effort and still the consumer goes, yeah, I want the cheap product. There's like everyone has a role to play. It's not business's job to do everything on its own. It's the consumer, it's the investor, it's the government, it's whatever. And the, you know, I'll, I'll say, and I'm a, I might be a consumer as well as a practitioner, as well as just a human. I can make choices the same as anyone else. I don't need to make the choice for you. You are empowered to do it. Um, and I think that's the, there's a little bit of that kind of apathy around, well, you know, someone needs to do this for me. It's like, no, no, you, you don't need to buy it. Like I was talking to another group late last year and they were talking about plastic bags and they said, oh, but what about plastic bags? And so I'm like, well, don't take them. If you don't want them, don't take them. No one's like making you take the bag out of the store. <laughs> so. I think that's, that's fair, but I think at the same time, there's a, there's a question of transparency. Yeah. Which is, makes it more difficult for the Absolutely. To make the right and that's everybody's job in the chain is if I make something, I'm going to tell you where it comes mm. from. Yeah. If you buy something, you're going to ask the question, where did it come from? Like we've all got a, we've all got a bit to play and that's like the jigsaw puzzle, I think. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's the education piece and making sure everyone's on board and making sure it's clear. Um, how we come to a common um, understanding of language and definition and terminology and it's like, I'm, I want to know where your supply chain is. It's like, well, we got to this point, but we're still working this bit out. Give us a couple of months because this is hard. Uh, and I think how we um, galvanise everyone to feel empowered to ask those questions and then be patient to wait for the answer because it's hard to find some of those things. Mm. But you're right. Yeah. Mm. Question. Yeah. Is there like a benchmark for success with these corporates that you work for, like in terms of becoming sustainable? I work for an organization which is pretty good in terms of the circular economy and the closed loop. And like from a CSR point of view, they, they take it to the next level in terms of waste management mm -hmm. and things that they do for the environment. They've recycled like one billion <coughs> tons of plastic, like really good. Mm. That's, that's one arm of it. But the second arm of the organization, we still manufacture products where the intent is to get people to buy every two years, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to like fast fashion and creating mm -hmm. things where you don't have to buy or you reuse, we're not there yet on that arm. We're still a sales-driven organization. Mm -hmm. We still want people to buy. Mm -hmm. I work in a technology company. We still want people to buy technology, refresh it every two years. Mm -hmm. So, like, is there like a benchmark for success? Because <coughs> on the supply chain side, I think they're pretty good. They've got the closed loop. But mm. how, how do you, what's the benchmark? There's, well, there's, if, if the sustainability fraternity are good at something, it's having an index of something, and we've got hundreds. So um, there are, like, what's your flavour? Because there's a bazillion. Um, it depends on your industry. There's, you know, the Dow Jones Sustainability Index is one. There's the FTSE for Good in the UK. There's, I think, you know, Corporate Knights, the Global Citizens. It, there's, all, there's a whole bunch. What I think you've described is... Um, what I was talking earlier around the, like the materiality aspect. And one of the myths around sustainability, I guess, is that you know, everyone has to do everything all of the time. 
in a corporate, you kind of have to chunk it down and go, right, where's the biggest, where's the heat coming from or where's the biggest issue, right? So waste, by the sounds of it, is probably, and it's relatively, asterisk, straightforward to fix. How you then change your business model to then go, okay, we were a sales-based organisation and we just want people to buy more product because that's where we get our revenue. Oh, hang on, we don't want people to buy product anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's where we don't go in with that because you won't have a great success at the minute. <laughs> so it's more around how do you actually start, you know, bringing out a, can you bring out a product that goes, actually, this is designed to last for three years or for four years, or there's a take-back piece and it can be refurbished, mm-hmm. or there are other ways of doing it because the reality is, your organisation will exist to make money because that's generally what business does. How you make it and how you can, I guess, influence further down your supply chain can also be helpful. So can your suppliers, can you affect change there? It's all about kind of staging and and being patient around what you can affect and getting the wins from one area and seeing if they can translate into another. So there's lots of indices um, depending on what it is you're wanting to be. Yeah. I've got a quote on that. Oh, really? It's going to help. Go. And it, um, <laughs> I read one recently and it said it's not about a few people in the world doing zero waste or sustainability perfectly. It's like everyone doing it imperfectly. So I yeah. think that's kind of really applicable to all of us, not to go, oh, that's too hard. Yeah. We just all have to do, you know, do what you can where you are with what you've got and we all just keep moving forward that way. Yeah. That's exactly mm. what I want. Oh, yeah. On that comment, um, it is... And correct me if I'm wrong, it is known that the pollution and the effect that we're doing to the the earth tends to be bigger in developing countries. So why and how, the question is how, can we take this bubble here? Because we we have access to education, it's evident that we have access to resources. It's evident that we can take decisions and make choices that are more sustainable, whereas other countries are mm. not. Yeah. How mm. can we include, when you talk about everybody doing these imperfect things, how can we take this little bubble in which we are living into other countries so then we can target those 12 years that we have left? Mm. How can we integrate everybody that is not all in this year? Yeah, that's a challenge. I guess my well, in the fashion industry, we're mainly manufacturing out of those countries. So as brands, it's our responsibility to go into those manufacturing hubs and to start to make those changes from within the businesses. Because that's really what we should be doing. This is what we haven't been doing. So, um, yeah, so for me, um, my industry plays a big part in that. Do you think majority of it is being manufactured, yeah, in those third world countries? I don't reckon it is a bubble. Like, if you want some inspiration, did everyone see the Kids March a few weeks ago? Yes. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? So Greta Thunberg, Swedish, I think? Yes, Swedish. Um, at Davos was saying, you know, you guys need to, I want you to wake up fearful every day as I do. Like, don't, have, don't be hopeful. You've got to be scared, to your point. Like, is it 13 years? Is it 10 years? Is it less? Like, I know lots of people in the climate movement who are just desperately depressed going, no, we're past the point of, you know, because there's all these feedback loops in the environment that once this happens, this happens, blah, blah, blah. And they say, once we hit that, it's just, we can't reverse it. But just go and have a look at the pictures from all around the world, because we can think, oh, we're just the ones with our keep cup and our, you know, Mm. recycled bathers and the, the poor people, they're not doing anything or they're creating all this stuff. All the images like Africa, everywhere, kids on that climate march, I found it so inspiring. I was just in tears like that day, just looking at all around the world and it's the kids going, just stop it. Like, this is our future. So it's happening everywhere. But also those guys, they're so much more impacted. The wealthier we are, the more um, closed off we are to the impacts of devastating climate change. And I don't t- with my stuff, I don't talk about climate change. I try to talk to people about zero waste because it's sort of more ex- acceptable. People still can be a bit, like, mm-hmm. prickly about climate change. But um, it's, they're feeling it. They're seeing it. I lived in China. They can't breathe. They really feel it much more than we do, so they're very aware. So it's it's challenging, um, but that you know that we hear that uh, China is opening a new coal-fired power station every day. They're also the most heavily invested in renewables in the world because they see it. Like their citizens are trying to get out of their country because they can't breathe. So same in India. Like that's where Buy Nothing New Month came from. I was in India just seeing all the waste, but how much like someone would go and pick up a Coke bottle off the ground because that was 
valuable. That wasn't waste. You know, waste is a verb. It's something we do. It's not something that is, you know, as Tonya is yeah, India is showing. good eye-opener to yeah. waste as a resource because they literally recycle everything, yeah. reuse everything. And, a, uh, and that, for me, is a massive inspiration. Mm. Yeah. And we've got so much to learn from them. Claire, you had a question? Yeah, I wanted to go back to sort of the sustainability by stealth. And you've been talking a lot about the generations coming up that are obviously having a very different experience and much more open and knowledge based. So do you think it's going to reach a kind of tipping point where we won't have to do sustainability by stealth, particularly with corporates, where we'll be able to call things out in a more pointy way to be more abrasive? Are you looking at me? Because I feel like I'm hogging the conversation. Am I? I feel like it. Are you sure? Um, again, of course, I've got a lot to say about that. I've really noticed in the last six months, I think it's maybe since Davos last year, the language. I said before, words mean things and language is really important. Um, I've seen it change from years and years. Everyone in like progressive movement or sustainability or enviro warrior, whatever you like to call us, have been like, oh, it's all hopeful and no one's inspired by negative. So we talk about all the beautiful, positive stuff. I've really seen now we've stopped talking about it in that hopeful way. Um, Organisations like ACF who always go out with the positive message, they've changed their language, they've gone, no, nah, that's not working. It's climate emergency. So the language has shifted dramatically. Like in the 10 years I've been doing this, no one talk, people don't really even talk about climate change so much if you're wanting to get the masses along. It's changed. It really has because people are going, wow, this is, this is hardcore now. So I think it's happened. I think, yeah, people have gotten really more pointy about the message. Yeah. But I think also to your point around, you know, as people come up through organisations, so, you know, when I'm running something, I will have the same mindset I have now as the person who was sort of, you know, the, the opted into this area in the same way, but I'll have a different way of looking and making decisions. And I think the organisations are becoming populated um, with individuals who are looking for the moral, um, moral, what was the reverse of dissonance? Togetherness, like where it's not a conflict. Mm. And you go, actually, I want this to be aligned with who I am as a person. And there is that kind of emergence. And one of the, you know, the stealth on the inside as well as stealth on the outside is if you can find people who are values aligned, you don't have to be in the same team. You don't have to have like a reporting line. It is, hey, I've got this initiative. Did you want to get involved? Because I can, you can opt into this. And that's how there's a lot of sort of that sort of internal ground, you know, groundswell and crowdfunding, crowdsourcing type of stuff where you can kind of get an informal group together and you can um, negotiate different outcomes. And as we all sort of start, if you know, if we choose to progress up to the echelons of an organisation, eventually we'll be in executive and C-suite levels where we will be making the same thing because we can't do anything different. And I think that's when, and we've got, you know, I've got organisations where they have like youth networks and they are chomping at the bit because they're, they're not jaded like I am. They're like still thinking they're going to change. Well, I'm like, yes, you can do it now because I'm old and tired and, <laughs> and bitter. And <laughs> but that's like, right, I'll just get you guys because you guys have passion and we'll just like shape you a little bit and we're going to fire you. And that's the, that's the thing is you can actually motivate people and the way to motivate everyone. It's more, as I said before, it's more accessible. There's more stuff to do. We're not frightened about doing it like on the sly. Like there's, you know, other organisations I've worked in, I'm like, okay, let's just do this. We won't tell anyone, we just had a great environmental outcome. We'll just do it and no one will know. And then, you know, that'll be fine. Whereas now it's kind of, oh no, well, of course there'll be an environmental outcome. You just kind of keep moving, you know, nothing to say, keep going, keep going. And it just becomes by how things are done. And so I think there is, 
you know, and it's incumbent upon everyone in a corporate, if you are in that environment, to, to be that kind of voice. The same as, you know, you guys are on the voice on your organisations, we have to be the same voice on the inside. Um, what would be... Oh. I noticed that was a day or two ago. Um, here's some of the Prime Ministers talking about GDP and saying how it doesn't measure well-being, just saying how you know, the stats look good, but you know, we have social problems, climate problems. So she was basically talking about the government to focus on decades and not you know, three-year terms. Mm -hmm. So sort of how, how important do you think that sort of that top-down structural approach is to helping possibly business and consumers to get on board yeah. I think like the long long termism, I mean, I, we used to always talk about like myopia and kind of that really short term, but I think there's, it's not, it's not okay anymore. It's not the, there, there's short term incentives, but it's almost like how do you get a short term, but with a longer undercurrent of longer term benefits. So it might be a, the quick win, like an eddy current, and then you've got your like, sort of your greater shift underneath. and. And it, how do you articulate what that benefit is over what time frame? And I think there is, you know, the GDP equation doesn't have all of the right bits in it. Mm. Um, and so how do you, what is that plan and how do you start bringing that in and changing the way capital, you know, new forms of capital or different forms of capital, um, you know, natural and social and all the rest of it. Um, there is an, there's definitely an appreciation of that and, and there's an awareness of that, at least in a business sense. But it's how it's how you measure it, how it's valued, and how it's used. Because you can have all the measurement, but if you don't make decisions taking those things into account, then it's you know not that useful. But yeah. um, I would be interested in what what are the the small but very impactful changes that we can do on a personal level as well as business, like the starting point to move into a more sustainable future and move forward in a clean, green way, I'd say. Mm. Stop printing. <laughs> yeah. There's quite a few things. Yeah. I mean, I, I always tell all the, the students, because they often ask me that question, and I'm like, well, we'll think about what you're buying. Actually turn your garment inside out and actually read the care label. <laughs> See where it came from and what it's made out of and make some really informed decisions about what you're buying into. You know, question, why, why aren't they using recycled polyester rather than using virgin polyester which is you know pulling resources natural resources in order to make that for this cheap top that actually you're probably going to throw away in a month's time so it's about really thinking about that you know about buying maybe natural fibers and start to question ask questions of brands that's what I tell them ask you know talk to them ask those questions why do you use this why can't you use this we need to have some reasons mm. as, a, as an you know if you work for someone else um, the thing I always say is don't leave it to like the sustainability person, team, empty mailbox, whatever, to be the one to go to. You can do it in whatever you're doing. And the uh, you know, thing I always say is there is not one role in an organisation that exists that I can't find something for you to do. Um, even if it's just putting the right stuff in the right recycling bin, for the love of God. <laughs> like, <laughs> That should be the easiest thing, but it's not. Um, so there is no role out there that is immune. And as you know, on my good day, I say every role has the opportunity to help us deliver our sustainability goals. Or on a bad day, everyone can stuff it up. So we do try and you know, I think everyone can do that in a role. And it's it's what are you doing? And find find the person in your organisation that you think's got something similar to add, and then have that conversation with them. And then go to who if you do have you know, a sustainability department, I guarantee you they'll be very excited to hear from you as a non, you know, technical person to actually be a part of that movement. Um, well, with the new Joneses, this is, that's what that project um, was set up to do, to showcase all of us, all the little things that we can do in our daily lives that are gonna have a positive impact. So from your choice of bank, your choice of energy company, the food you eat, how you get rid of that stuff, that's what the new Jones is there to say, like along this path everywhere, we've got high tech, we showcase like with an electric a Tesla, electric vehicle. We've got their Powerwall solar battery storage. Not everyone can buy a Tesla, but everyone can have a worm farm. Everyone can switch their bank. It's one of the biggest things you can do. Don't listen to me. But <laughs> um, some banks will take your money and invest it in fossil fuels, tobacco, casino. Some won't. Um, 
So look into your choice of bank because that's you can have a massive impact. Um, so I won't name any names, but there are a couple of companies, a couple of banks who are going out really actively with that message now. We don't invest in fossil fuels. So if that's important to you, go, okay, I'll refinance. I'll take my mortgage over here. Huh? Who are they? <laughs> Bank Australia and Bendigo Bank. And some people will say, I wasn't meaning to <laughs> <laughs> I am um, now the in charge of the entire bank. <laughs> um, some people say, oh, well, Bank Australia don't invest in fossil fuels because they're too small to anyway. They don't have that. I don't care. I think it's still a brilliant message for us to all understand because that's one thing we talk about with people um, at the New Jones is just opening those conversations. And, and reward too. Like, it's important to reward that message. They're going to yeah, get out there. Yeah, yeah. Then there's no one... Consumers, their responsibilities to reward the, the brands with a response. Yeah. But I think also there's that, um, what's it, the social license to operate that's becoming more and more important. People are looking to their brands for leadership. We're not getting it from our governments. Mm. People are going, right, well, I've got money in my pocket every time I spend it. And I think the Bank Australia ad is brilliant because they show, I think they're showing someone tapping their card. And every time they tap, they'll then show like cut to a picture of like a mine, you know, open cut mine, and then tap to another picture. And it might be like seal with plastic around its neck or whatever and it's just showing every time you spend your money you're voting for the world you want to see we've got so much power in our pockets you know use it so changing your choice of bank your energy company is massive and this one can be challenging because there's so much greenwash out there um who who, who even knows who their energy company is cool not oh yeah that's pretty good um there's a lot of greenwash around it but the the biggest energy companies in australia were actively lobbying our government to remove the renewable energy target. So saying to our government, we don't want to get more renewables. Like all the world scientists are saying, we need to keep all the coal in the ground, we need to keep the fossil fuels in the ground. Yet these big companies with all this money are telling our government, no, don't do it. So look at your choice of energy company. Momentum Energy is our, who we go with with the New Joneses because they're owned by the largest generator of renewable energy. So as an individual, you can't go and fund a renewable energy project, but your bill every month or whatever can go towards a company that's going to invest that into renewables. So everything we do, it really does have an impact. You know, don't feel like you can't make a difference as one person. There's that beautiful internet meme, it's only a straw, one billion people said, you know, what we do has an impact, make your impact good. And the superannuation as well, you can choose where your superannuation goes to. Totally. There's, there's yeah. Yeah. And your bank. Yep. Choose go with your super people and tell them, I don't want you to invest my money in this. And they have to because it's a job. And mm. most, if not, well, not most, but I, I belong to Uni Super and they do have a that. So some of them have products that do not go to you. Yeah, and then there are some, this is not the ABC, so I can name names like um, Future Super. I don't get any kickbacks. Um, Future Super was set up literally to be the first fossil-free future fund. Future Super. Yeah, super fund that does, won't invest in fossil fuels. So there are companies now that are literally starting, and this is my premise, I won't touch fossil fuels. So I think support those companies that are doing the right thing. What world do you want to see? You know, and I talk to the kids every day. We get these, as I said before, like just throngs of kids and I just keep having to break the message down do we want clean air or dirty air do we want clean water or dirty water you know it's pretty simple yeah mm. and I think to wrap it up I, we don't have to completely change our lives from one day to the other nor can we I think with our organizations but what we all can do is like be more educate ourselves and be more mindful in the decisions that we make with our credit cards, maybe the personal or the company one um, every day and just like, um, yeah, be more conscious of our, of our decisions, not always um, go for the plastic bottle, but buy the more expensive water bottle. Um, especially I think for us, for the younger generation, it's hard because we don't, especially when you study, you don't have the money to actually live so sustainable and to have the more expensive energy provider to always buy the organic locally produced food but I think the more you can actually make the conscious effort into investing into a more sustainable future for yourself and for all of us I think that's the individual and holistic way that we should can I go. Make a point? Yeah. Just because it's more sustainable or more local to 
that's telling you it's more expensive. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's, True. that's really important for us to be aware of mm. and, yeah. and to not reinforce the fact that it is more expensive. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But also for people to understand the real, like, um, the importance of, you know, shopping locally doesn't mean going to your local Coles and buying an import, imported feta cheese. That's like <laughs> not shopping local. But a lot of people think that and that's fine. Like they don't know that yet. But I always use the example um, where I am at home. Um, there's a, it's a Coles or a Woolies, I don't know. And then there's a, um, a bunch of Muslim brothers with a fruit and vegetable store next to it. It is more expensive. I can afford to and that's what I want to, I would prefer to support their business and the big cause or all these, whatever it may be. Because every time I go in, the brothers know me, we have a chat and it's lovely and I'm sort of, I'm helping them, but there's this local multiplier. So every time you spend a buck, I think I'm going to stuff up the actual quote, but it's something like 70 cents or 70% of that goes back into the local community. So you're supporting that. Whereas if you go with a big multinational or whatever, then that money is going externally. It's not supporting your community. And as we are talking before, we know what counts is connection to people. That's what's going to keep us healthy and happy like communities. It's not like big, big multinationals. Anyway, my perfect example was, I, you know, going to these guys at the fruit store. One year I came and I bought, went to buy a peach or something. This is insane to me. The next year I went to buy the same peach and the guy said, are you sure you want that? And I was like, yeah, why? He said, well, last year you came and you put this peach on the scale and I told you it was from America, so you put it back. And it's the same one. Like, I don't get that at the Coles. Like he literally remembered that I did that a year ago. And why was this page from America? Imported. Most of our stuff, you know, so much of our stuff is imported. But anyway, point being, you know, investing in your local economies, they'll disappear if, unless, do we all just want to see big boxes and not have any sort of community? You know, the local guy, he knows that I went to buy that peach and then I put it back because it was going to cost me seven bucks and it was from America. I think I'm going to... Um wrap up the, the formal part of the, of the evening here. I think that was a really um, interesting and valuable discussion and you're more than welcome to continue the discussion in a more informal way. We're gonna turn up the music a little bit. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.